This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Thank you. It's good to see you here today. God bless all of you. And I know a lot of you are going through stuff. Anybody in here going through some battles? There's a few of us that are honest. You should just bow your head here. I'm going to just go back to the Lord here real quick. I just sense this, that the ones who are really in battles right now, it's like the Lord has just really impressed this on me. Be, be careful with the words that come out of your mouth. Not only with the words that come out of your mouth, but who you say them to. Because your, your, your mouth is a megaphone. Your, your mouth is broadcasting the things that you're desiring me to do. So just be careful. I, I, I really speak that to, to all of us in here. The reason I say that is there in uh, Matthew 12, out of the abundance of the heart, my mouth speaks. Proverbs 18, 21, that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Be careful. Be careful, little mouth, what you say. Okay. Well, I welcome all of you. So glad you're here. If you've got a Bible, go with me to James chapter 4. We are on our series about the Holy Spirit. And I, I just want you to see some truths here biblically on some areas today. And so as you're going to James 4, I'll go to James 4, then I'll go to 1 Peter 1 in that order. But if you were to ever study the book of Judges, in, in Judges it was a very chaotic period in the, the time of the Israelites. And remember, the Israelites were God's chosen. And the reason it was, it was very chaotic here is because they did evil in the sight of the Lord. In other words, they sinned over and over. And they had the thought because of their status and their heritage as being Jews, they could do whatever they wanted and God would still bless them. And I see that pattern a lot of times with Christians. That we have this thought, I, I can live however I want and God's entitled to bless me. And so the thing that got them in trouble is in two passages in, in Judges 17 and again in Judges 21, it said they did what was right in the sight of man. They did what was right in the sight of man. Now, if I take God out of the equation and I do what's right in my eyes, I'm in trouble. It's not good. And so I highlight this here that you're going to see some things biblically today where God desires us to live as believers, to live obedient. So we start here in James chapter 4, verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? In other words, where is the, the conflicts and the quarrels that are going on uh, among us? He goes on to say, do they not come from your desires for pleasure, for your own way, that war in your members or battle within you. And so he tells us right here, there's a battle that goes on on the inside of every one of us. It's this battle between our flesh and the spirit. Galatians 5, 16. Walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 2. You lust and you do not have. You murder and you covet, but you cannot tame. You fight and you war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. And so he gets over and it says, you kill, you envy, you scheme to do everything you can do because you're selfish. 
And it's about me to obtain. Me, me, me. And, and so there's a battle right here between the flesh and the things of the world and the things of God right here. And if I'm not careful, there's this chronic interpersonal uh, warfare that brings a contentious in me. The desire for the things of the world overrides the things of God. And this never ends. Verse 3. You ask, but you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Better stated, you ask because your motives are corrupt. They're wrong. You're, you're looking out for the God of me. Me, me, me. Stingy little me, me. Verse 4, adulterers and adulteresses. Wow, what a statement. Better stated, you've become spiritual cheaters. Adulterer and adulteresses. Wow, keep reading. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity or an enemy with God? You're having an unholy relationship with the world. When I see what he's talking about here, literally through the scriptures, I believe he's told us we've broke our vows to love and to serve God. And so when you look at this with the world here, the world refers to the system. Or, or to all its values, the mindsets, the philosophies of man, of this world, that run contrary to the things of God. Now, it's interesting his wording here. Keep reading. Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So your flirting and your friendship with the world puts you at odds with God. And the end result is estrangement and hostility with God. And there's consequences for this. So as I look at this, adulterers and adulteresses, again, have I cheated with God? Or have I cheated on God? And when I think about the word adultery in the natural, the word adultery means that there are biblical grounds for divorce. And anytime you get divorced, that means the marriage is dissolved and the relationship is over. And so when I look at this here, is this how I am spiritually? It's interesting that his words, but I'm going to put some hope in here. Just, as cause, uh, just because adultery can cause a severance in a marriage... If you'll repent, it can also bring a healing to it. And there's no sin that you or me has committed that isn't too big for Father God to forgive. He'll forgive us. Verse 5. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain or without reason or with no purpose or does the scripture not mean nothing to you? Now listen real close. The Spirit, or the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, he yearns jealously. 
The, the Holy Spirit does not want to share you with the world. And so he relentlessly pursues us to have a relationship with him. And when I begin to look to the Holy Spirit, he begins to stir up in me a, a robe of humility. The very next verse says that God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. And so it's like the Holy Spirit. If, if I've gotten to an area that I've severed my relationship with God, I no longer serve him. He's, he's beckoning us to come back. He pulls our hearts with the conviction not to beat us up. But he says, I, I yearn for you. I desire to have that relationship with you. Turn with me to the very next book of the Bible. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Now as we go here, I'm, I'm going to highlight some, th st uh, some things in the scripture here that I believe you'll see play out throughout the whole day why it's so important for me and you to heed this. 1 Peter 1 verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Roll up your sleeves. Fasten your seatbelts. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be careful what you think about and what you think on. Now, if this wasn't important, why did he use these words to gird up? Ooh, I don't know about you, but one of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, and 23 is the fruit of self-control. Holy Spirit, I, I welcome self-control in my thinking, in my mind, in my thoughts. Have any of you ever had crazy thoughts? Well, you ones who didn't raise your hand, we're going to pray for liars after it's over, okay? Because you got a little problem with lying already to start with. Let me throw this in here with the thoughts for you. When it comes to thoughts, I can't keep the birds from flying over my head but I sure can keep them from nesting in my hair. You want an interpretation for that? Thoughts are going to come. But thoughts can't do anything until I allow him to take root in me, okay? So guess what the devil's doing all day long? He's throwing thoughts just to see if you'll grab one of them. Keep reading. Be sober. Be self-controlled. Be spiritually alert. In other words, don't put your guard down. Not just on Sundays, but every day of my life. Be sober. And rest, fix your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's telling you right here, welcome God's grace in the way I think. And I welcome your grace to help me to live spiritually alert, spiritually self-controlled. Verse 14, as obedient children. The Amplified says to live as obedient children. Now this is God's desire that we live obediently to him. You're not going to do it by your willpower, okay? The grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why the Lord said through the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah 4, 6, it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by the Holy Spirit. 
Oh, I want to live obedient. Not conforming or molding yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. So you know what he's telling us here? Don't shape your lives by the desires that you followed before you didn't know any better. Don't go back to that old lifestyle that you left. Oh, Holy Spirit, I need you. I welcome you. to. I don't want to go back to that life where I'm in bondage to the things of my flesh. Verse 15, real good right here. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. You also be, be holy in the manner you're living. Now, if none of this mattered, then why does he bring it up? To be obedient, to live uh, uh, self-controlled and sober. In, in, in the manner of your conduct. So when I read this here, he says, being holy. Remember the word holy means to be separated. It means to be set apart. It means to be sanctified. In other words, get away from those old things. But listen, I'm not going to do that on my own ability. So remember, the nature of the Holy Spirit is holy. And he wants to impart his nature in us. That's why the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, it's a daily thing. It's day by day where I wake up and, oh, Holy Spirit, I need you today. Verse 15 or 16. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. So I can't accomplish anything in my own talents and abilities. That's why the Lord wants to put the Holy Spirit within every one of us. A, a power to help me in my thinking. A, a power to help me in the way I live. Now turn with me to the Old Testament. To 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Now as you're going there. You're going to see how the scripture here would play out. What, what would happen in this passage of scripture if the words of Peter were obeyed? So where we're going into this is a passage about a man named David. King David. And at this time in the passage, he's been king for quite a while. Now, this is the same David that the Bible said he's a man after God's own heart. This is the same David that in 1 Samuel 16, it said that when Samuel anointed him to be the king, that the Holy Spirit came upon him. So, this is a man after God's own heart. This is a man who's experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the same David who cut off Goliath's head. This is the same King David who, in my words, he was bad to the bone. Okay? Now watch where we go in this, okay? 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. And it happened in the spring of the year that at the time when kings go out to battle, what were kings supposed to do in the spring? They were supposed to go out to battle. That David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. But I thought it said that the kings were supposed to go out into the spring. So better stated here, 
Did David abandon his purpose? Did David stop doing what he was supposed to do? Now, this isn't a Sunday morning where we're here to critique and to judge and to bash David. I put myself in the scripture. What have you and me done to abandon what God desires us to do? See, it's very easy to look at David and say, what's up, David? And David may look back and say, what's up, sister bucket mouth? What's up? Verse 2. Then it happened one evening. Just one evening. That David arose from his bed, walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. Wow. Just one evening. Goes out for a little stroll. If you were here last week, we were in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee sexual immorality. It didn't say flirt with it, and it didn't say to flaunt it. It said to flee it. And so right here, by one glance of this guy's eyes, just one little glance, just a little dab in his wildest dreams and his wildest imagination, he would never believe where this one little look would ultimately take him. And so by that one act of yielding to something that he shouldn't have looked at, and so better stated here, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And when you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, it's never going to be a good thing or a right thing. That's why Job said in Job 31, he said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look upon a woman. And so here, this man who's a man after God's own heart, the man who's anointed with the Holy Spirit. And I want to highlight this because it shows me just because you're a man after God's own heart and just because you're anointed with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean you're exempt from temptation. So what would have happened here if King David would have obeyed the writings of Peter where he said, gird up your loins, take control of your mind. And be sober, be self-controlled, be morally alert. See, I believe with all my heart in this passage right here, that he just kind of blew it off like, remember the fruit of self-control? Now, I can say this, and I believe I'm very accurate on this. I believe... The temptations of sex in our society have multiplied massive compared to what he was under. How do you think that? Well, he didn't have a TV. He sure didn't have a cell phone. He didn't, he didn't have access to the internet. So we, we are a society that's bombarded with this. So if I don't get a hold of what Peter begins to tell me and say, Holy Spirit, grace me with self-control. I don't know if you figured this out, but the world is full of beautiful women. 
Be careful, little eyes, what you see. So, sin has a snowball effect. And when sin gets to rolling, if I don't deal with it, it it gets out of control. So, in David's life, that one little look, it led to sexual immorality. It led to adultery. But it didn't stop there. Now to cover his track, he's got to start telling lies. He's liar, liar, pants on fire. I mean, he's lying. And he's freaking out. So what do I do? Well, he comes up with this brilliant plan. Let's kill Bathsheba's wife, our husband. So he has this guy named Uriah the Hittite murdered. And then he lives in such deception that he keeps having to cover his tracks Over and over and over. Wow. A man after God's own heart. And sometimes when we read this, people have a thought, well, that wasn't that big of a deal. Same chapter, verse 27. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son, But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. It was deemed evil in the Lord's eyes. That's not a big deal. Oh, it's huge. You either please God or you displease God. Now, when I read this here, this is the first time in Scripture that it says that David had displeased the Lord. So it was a big deal. So while this is going on in in David's heart right here, I believe the Holy Spirit was trying to convict him to lead him to a place of repentance. But he won't repent. He won't repent on his own. So you know how much God loves us? When we won't repent on our own, God doesn't put a big X over you and say, you're done. God sends a man named Nathan the prophet to confront him. How many of you in here have ever been confronted by another human being? I have. I'm going to be real truthful. I wasn't real happy about it. I was kind of mad about it. I had a guy who said to me, you can't do that. I want to say, you need to shut up. But I knew everything he was telling me was the truth, and I knew he loved me enough to tell me the truth. Well, when we read this about this prophet named Nathan, a lot of times we overlook Nathan. But I want you to think about how obedient Nathan was. That when Nathan was told by God to go confront him, I mean, I wonder if Nathan said, wait a minute, wait a minute, God. You you want me to go to King David and confront him? The man who's after your own heart? Uh, 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 Father God, remember, this is the guy who doesn't have a problem of cutting people's head off. But Nathan says, I'll obey the assignment. So Nathan shows up and he begins to tell King David a little story. And he said, there was a, a rich man And there was a poor man. And the rich man had some sheep and and some cattle. 
which alludes to wives. Now, I don't mean that ugly, but, you know, when you look at a woman, I don't think a sheep or a cow, but... At this time in his life, there were six of them. The Lord bless you. And he said there was a poor man who had one little you. And the one little you represented she was very young. Most believe Bathsheba was a teenager. And then through the story, he begins to tell David that the rich man went and stole the poor man's one little youth. And when he says this to King David, King David fires off and goes, this is it's heinous. This is one of the worst things you could do. And he said, that man is deserving of death. And Nathan looks and says, you're the man. You're the man. Wow. Now, when I, I got over on reading this, I, I began to wonder in that year's time that when the Holy Spirit begins to deal with us and we don't repent, our heart gets harder and harder. And I really thought this about, was King David, and I don't know this, but was King David at a place in his life where he was like, I'm the king. I'm the man after God's own heart. I don't have to repent. And let me ask you something. Does, does that describe anybody you know? Does that describe you? Where you don't ever repent, you don't ever forgive. And so if that's you, that is a place of pride. That's a place of arrogance where you can never tell some, I'm wrong. Let me help you with this, especially you young ones. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, or Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. He sat on the wall. He sat on a place of authority. But Humpty Dumpty had a, Great fall. A great fall. That pride goes before destruction fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men, they couldn't put Humpty together again. But God can. Don't look to mankind to fix you, okay? So when he's confronted, you're the man... Does he blow up? Does he tell Nathan, kiss my rear? What does he do? Same chapter, or chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against the Lord. You know what I see right there? The man who's a man after God's own heart, the man who is the anointed king, puts on the robe of humility. I, I've sinned. 
I've sinned against the Lord. An, An uncompromising confession of his sin. Now pay real close attention what takes place here. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. God's forgiven you. God has forgiven you because you were man or woman enough to take ownership of what you did. But watch the last part here. And he says, you shall not die. The wages of sin is death. You won't die. And I believe this goes back to the Holy Spirit was working in him, convicting, but he was also yearning and jealously saying, come on back. Come on back. Now in this time in his life, he wrote the 51st Psalm. Go with me. Go to the 51st Psalm here. We can get ready to get blessed, okay? I said this in the first service that this may be the most marked chapter In my entire Bible. This this chapter meant so much to me, okay? Psalm 51. Verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God. According to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies. Now you see mercies referenced a couple times. You know what the definition of mercy is? You don't get what you deserve. I don't know about you. I think God, his mercies are new every day. I thank God I don't get what I deserve. Think about this just a second. Where would you be right now if you got what you deserved? Oh, pastor, don't go there. (laughs) I'd either be in jail or I'd be six foot under in heaven now. Now, before I read any more, you're going to see a a two-letter word. I'm reading in the New King James that I want you to highlight right here. And that word is M-Y, my. Keep reading the end of verse 1. Blot out my transgressions, my trespasses. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, the sin that's embedded in my heart, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is always before me. So the reason I highlight this here is because he didn't try to make excuses. He said, my sin. Remember what Adam did when God confronted him? He said, it's that stinking woman you gave me, God. And so what happens when it comes to repentance? Do I water it down? Do I half-heartedly do it? And usually when I water it down, the reason I do it is the only reason I repented is because I got caught. Wow, pastor feels like the devil just poked me in the rear. That hurt. Woo. See, you you begin to get something within him. There was incredible sorrow within him. And I, I broke your heart, Father God, 
My, my sin is always before me. Verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned. And I've done this evil. Now it's interesting. He called sin, sin. And he said evil. In your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. So you know what he does next? He asks God to forgive him. He asks God to purge him, to wash him. He asks God to help me resist sin in the future. He asks God, help me to grow spiritually. How do you repent? Now I'm going to make a statement here and you may want to write this one down, okay? True remorse has no thought about reputation, only righteousness. True remorse has no thought about reputation, only righteousness. You know what I'm saying? I'm not concerned about how I impress or don't impress people. I'm only, imp I'm only trying to be impressed by the righteousness of God. I want to be in right standing with Father God. I don't care what people think. I want to just be in, in right standing with you, Father God. Same chapter, verse 9. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. This, this is his prayer. The message translation says this way. Shape a Genesis week in the chaos of my life. Shape a new beginning in the chaos of my life. Now watch where he goes here, verse 11. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. And so the absence of God's presence is the same as the absence of the Spirit of God. And he says here, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And he ends in verse 12 and he says... Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Holy Spirit, uphold me. Now, I highlight this here because he didn't say, don't or, or don't remove my titles. Don't take my position. Don't take my possessions. Don't take my riches. His great concern was, forgive me. Return to me the joy of salvation. Not, not just salvation, but the joy of salvation. I, I think about this. When you get born again, there's an incredible joy within you. You, you got a pep in your step. It, it's almost like that day, man, you just kind of skip along like, Life is good. Restore to me the joy of salvation. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't take the Holy Spirit from me. You know what it identified to me? The treasures in his life was salvation and the Holy Spirit. This, this was King David. 
I'm going to read this here because I want, I want to end with this today. If you're a note taker, this is 2 Samuel 23, verse 1 and 2. Now these are the last words of David. These are David's dying words. He's, he's on the verge of exiting this place called earth and in going into heaven. These are his last words. And it says, thus says David, the son of Jesse. Thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel. Man, I, I tell you, I, I don't know that there's a better obituary right there. What will your obituary say? Well, he could sure play dominoes. It wasn't a, worth a flip riding a bike. I better move on. <laughs> Verse 2. And the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me. And the Spirit of the Lord spoke in me, and his word was on my tongue. And you know what I see? The reason I read this? He's at the end of his life. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was still speaking the word of God. His dying words. I'm full of the Holy Spirit. I'm checking out of here, but I'm full of the Holy Spirit. And, and I wonder when he said that, if that wasn't for children and grandchildren to say, listen, this was said about me and this was said about me and I was the sweet psalmist but the greatest thing is I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and I'm, I'm going to my grave full of the word of God. Wow, what a treasure. So when I read this, you know what I see? There is no sin that's too great for God to forgive. I don't care who you are. But you know what it takes? It takes a human being that says, grace me with the robe of humility that I come before you, Father God, and I repent, not because I got caught, but because I'm flat out wrong. Why don't you stand up here with me? Woo! A man after God's own heart. Every time I read these passages, it just really moves me. So I go back to where we started today. Would your life be defined as an adulterer and adulteresses? Have you drifted more to the things of the world than the God? I don't want to be a Christian in name. When I read 1 Peter there, could you use the power of the, the Holy Spirit through self-control to help me in my thinking? To stay sober, to stay morally alert. 
then we jump into King David's life. The question isn't if you've blown it. The question is what are you going to do when you've blown it? Do I, I need a, a special anointing with self-control in my eyes and my tongue and my thoughts? Am I too prideful to repent? You know, this may sound crazy. I've been around people who won't repent. They're never wrong. That's a scary place to be. Pastor, are you ever wrong? Just when the sun comes up. I need a robe of humility. Bow your head with me. If you had to walk out Psalm 51, how would you repent? Today, do you need God to shape a Genesis week in the chaos of your life? Today, Are you saying, Lord, restore to me not just salvation, but a joy of salvation. That a joy of salvation, I don't moan and groan about having to come to church. I rejoice that I get to go worship with the saints. And what about this? Oh, Lord, don't take your spirit from me. I I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Or today, you need a fresh filling. I'm going to let our praise and worship team sing here. If you're compelled to come to the altars today in any of those things I just mentioned, woo, we serve a good God. We serve a good God. He'll forgive you if you'll repent. Go ahead, guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.